translation line. Welcome again, everyone. For those of you that are joining us online, we welcome you and we say happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day to everyone. And so with that said, we're going to take just a break from Nehemiah, not that we've been in there too long, but uh, I felt that uh, it'd be appropriate today to to look into the resurrection a little bit and um, not necessarily the historical facts, but really the the first page of the resurrection. Page one is what uh, I kept thinking about um, as I was preparing this. So our scripture verse is going to be 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 to 5. And I'm going to read that now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, And undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Father. You see, the we think about a father, we, we obviously think about maybe our own father or fathers that we know. The role of a father in a family unit is incredibly important, to say the least. According to experts in this field, when a child has a healthy relationship with their father, whether boy or girl, they tend to grow up and have a higher level of psychological health, more self-confidence, and better quality relationships. This is what some of those experts say. Now, of course, in our society, unfortunately, many times this isn't the case. Fathers can be present, um, but tuned out of the family with work or with a demanding career. Sometimes marriage problems can cause a father to leave. Or in worst cases, They simply abandon their family. We've, we, we've all know some, we all know people in these different situations. Some maybe didn't have a father. <clears throat> in Scripture, God is very often referred to as Father. He's not only God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's also known as a father in the sense of a fatherly role in a family. He's known as Abba Father. That's what, that's what uh, the, the Jewish term or the Aramaic term for, for daddy was during the time of Christ. So what does this mean? This means that he is a real father to us, just as a biological father would be, as in one who cares for and loves his children. And Paul says in the letter of Galatians, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Meaning we have a spirit in our heart as Christians that looks at God, the Father, as a real, true Abba, 
father, daddy. That relationship is real. He sees us and he wants to view us as true, as um, present, and as someone we can look at and say, yes, you are my father. And I know this could be difficult for some. But regardless of what sort of relationship or memory you may have had or don't have of your earthly father or even earthly father figure, there is no love that will ever compare to that which our heavenly father has for you. As the scripture that we're going to jump into that I just read will will show us. So who is our heavenly father? He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's good and a million other things. He's a father who sees us not for who we are, but who we are becoming and who we are going to be in Christ. Most importantly, especially for today's message on Resurrection Sunday, we have a loving father. One who loves us with a love that we may not fully understand ever. It's so great. It's so deep. It's so wide. It's so far. It's beyond explanation. You can't over-exaggerate the love that God has for us because it's an infinite, eternal love. However, what God has done in Christ gives us a very good glimpse of this love. He sent his only begotten son into the world, a world that rejected him. He sent his only begotten son into the world to die. He did this to keep his covenant promise to us so that Jesus could die for our sins and make us right before him so we in turn can be his renewed people that he can use in making the world right before him. So God makes us right. So now we can go out and do his work by making the world right. And that, of course, is through the proclamation of the gospel and living it out. Now, I believe that this is page one of the Easter message. Here it is. Our loving father in heaven sent his only begotten son to earth to die and rise again. That's how much he loves us. It's his only begotten son, not because God wants us to try to figure, out, figure all that out, because the early church fathers thankfully worked all that out for us. But he wants us to know, as we have our own children, maybe, as we have our own close, close people that we are close with, people that we would lay our life down for, people that we would die for, God sent his son, his only begotten son, to die. Not in a make-believe way, not in a, not in a way like, hey, do you want to do this? Because, you know, we could just rise you again, and I'll make sure there's no pain. And I'll make No, that's not what happened. That's not how God works. The son of God put on human flesh, and God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit filled him and completely embodied him so that he is fully 100% God, 
but yet fully 100% man so that he can do the job that he had to do, which was to die in man's place and take that, 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 that we were under Adam in sin and we move out of that and now we're under his son, Jesus Christ. Never to be blamed for sin again. That doesn't mean he endorses sin, but sin has no power and no place at all in Christ. And that's who you are if you believe in him. So we have a truly loving father that sent his son into the world to die and to rise again. Now, this loving father in doing this, although we don't, obviously, we see through a glass darkly. We see through the cloudy smoke, right? We can't fully, fully, fully glimpse. But when we look at Jesus Christ, we can see, regardless of what type of father that we've had in our life, maybe you had a great father, and that's great. But he wasn't perfect. He was still man. Jesus Christ is perfect. God the Father, perfect. The Holy Spirit, perfect. And this love, when we look at this, when we take this little glimpse at what he did, it could give us that little bit of a taste of really what is an infinite, eternal love of the Father. And that's what I wanted to take a look at today. What a loving Father we have in sending his Son into the world to save that which is lost at the expense of a brutal death and, uh, and, uh, and his humility in coming down to earth. He was God. He, he, was, he is God. Coming down to earth is something that we could, I mean, we could try to make analogies to it, you know, become a little, a little cricket in the grass, become a little ant in an ant hole. I don't know. I wouldn't send my son to go be an ant in an ant hole to save the ant population. These little microscopic things that I can't even that are nowhere near the size of in the in the glory of man. But that's what God did. He sent Jesus Christ down into this dump that was destroyed by sin, that was literally headed for hell, and still is for some people. But the Father said, I have a people that I want you to save. So go and do it. And the son said, I will do it. I come to do your will. It is written in the scroll. It is written in the scriptures. Jesus came under the authority of his father for him. And the father promised to give him a people. And he promised to go out and die and then be raised again. So when we look at this text, I think that this text really gives us a nice taste and, and a meaty chunk here to see in only a couple verses what this actually means. What sort of loving father do we have? Well, it says here that blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy. See, this is mercy is is not getting what you absolutely deserve because of what you've done. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what you deserve. You know you deserve to be caught. You know you deserve to be punished. You know the camera has you right there. There's no denying it. 
You know the penalty for what you've done is irreversible and it's going to definitely happen. And it's something that is going to take your life, spin it out of control, and ultimately cause your death. And right at that moment, God says, I've got you covered. I am going to give you mercy. The Father gave mercy to us. How? By causing us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. We didn't come to him as much as you, before you were born, went to God and said, all right, I'm ready. Um, I want to live in free old New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I like the Summons family or the Angholm family, one or the others, you know. Definitely not the Rineker family, but one of those. And, you know, maybe, just kidding with Maybe, uh, you know, next week or the week after, that's when I want to be born. That's hysterical. But yet, that's how sometimes we think about our, our, our new birth. No, we were, like, like Chris prayed, we were completely enemies of God. We didn't want God because if we acknowledged him, then we knew that we would have to obey him. See, as soon as you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, now you have an obligation to now live up to that and obey him and live for him. So God has to cause us to be born again. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 4 to 8. But God, rich being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And this is in parentheses, by grace you've been saved. And then verse six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, we're in Christ Jesus. That's what you, if you can get your mind wrapped around that. We're in Christ. So when God looks at you, he's looking at you in Christ. That's why there is no judgment against you. And that happens when you become born again. Okay, so being born again is not a, a denomination. Being born again is not some, um, you know, uh, religious rite or anything like that. It's based off of two fundamental doctrines in the scriptures. One is us, our depravity in terms of our sin has so wrecked our ability to be able to do things that are good that the Bible calls it being dead in sins and transgressions. So that's number one. But number two doctrine is that the Holy Spirit is what makes somebody alive, enlightens their spirit, they're born from above, and now they're able to see the kingdom of God. And when that happens, you are in Christ. And this in Christ could not have happened unless Jesus rose from the dead. So when Jesus rose from the dead on that first day of the week, when his body started operating and working again, it was a glorified body. And in the heavenly places, and positionally, we 
as believers in Christ, by God's great mercy, are placed in Christ in that position. So we are protected. We have a force field around us from the effects of sin. We have a force field around us from the ultimate penalty of sin, which is death. It no longer has a hold over us. And this is a, this is a concept called not just the mercy of God, but the grace of God. For by grace, grace is, if, if mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. See, the problem is, is that the re, one of the, the, the main reasons why people miss this concept of having to be born again and being open to it and even seeking maybe and looking into the Bible and seeing what this has is because we, man feels that he's basically pretty good. We all feel like we're basically pretty good. Proverbs 26 says, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? None. There is not one that is good, the Bible says, according to God's standard. So we believe we're good enough that God will overlook our sin in light of our good deeds. And I don't mean like, oh, we're going around doing good deeds, but we're saying, hey, you know, I'm really not that bad of a person compared. I mean, I'm trying, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm, I'm paying my bills on time, or at least some of them. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm a good dad or a good mom, and, you know, I, I try to help when I can. And, and we're missing the point when we go that route. We're missing the point. That's like going in to a, a, a hospital ward and going, well, this person looks uh, totally fine. Meanwhile, inside, they're suffering from a disease. Who knows what it is? That's what we have. We have a disease. It's more than a disease. It's a dead carcass that we're carrying around. Only Christ can make us alive. Now, in order to receive God's mercy and in order to see the kingdom of God, the resurrection had to take place, but you must believe in the resurrection. You not believe that it just happened, but you must take ownership of that resurrection that's working in you or that wants to work in you to give life to your mortal body and to be able so that you can then walk in those good deeds that God has already prepared for you beforehand by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that it gives life to us to live unto God. So we have to see our sin. We have to acknowledge our sin. And we have to realize that Jesus is the sin destroyer. He's the sin magnet at the cross. He attracted the sin of all those that believe in him. Every sin, past, present, future. But guess what? To, for you to... Take that and appropriate it. You have to believe on Jesus Christ and believe that he rose from the dead. Believe, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And what does the Bible say? You will be saved. And that's what we must do. If you're in sin, 
Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. See, the the turning from the sin isn't like, okay, I'm going to turn from my sin and get rid of this. And then I'm going to turn to Christ for help. That's not what it is. It's turning to Christ and bringing him your sin. Because you'll never get to that if you try to just get rid of your sin first. So it's all one motion. Turn from your sin to Christ. Taking him, taking your sin to him. Say, I don't know what to do about it, Doc. That's why I came to you. Didn't try to fix it on myself. You're the doctor. He's the doctor. He's the sin doctor. You come to him and he will forgive you. Now, the second point is that, yes, the first point was that he caused us to be born again, the Father, according to his great mercy. But also the love of the Father is shown so much in the resurrection that he gave us this living hope, living hope through the resurrection of the dead, uh, through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. You see, Paul says that if the, if the resurrection already happened or if there is no resurrection, our faith is in vain. We might as well just eat, drink, and, and then die, basically. Eat, drink, and be merry. Because without the resurrection, we have no Christianity. Jesus was a great prophet. He was a good guy. Uh, he was, a, you know, all that other stuff. But he wasn't God if there's no resurrection. But with the resurrection, everything changes. Now we have, a, we have Jesus raised from the dead, fully alive, fully human, fully God. And he is our living, emphasis on living, hope. We, are, we, we say, oh, well, it's a blind faith. No, we have a resurrected Savior who is living right now in heaven, in the dimension that we can't perceive yet. He is there. He is building his kingdom. As we read in the scripture here, he must reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. He is reigning right now. We have that living hope. Now, when you meet Jesus Christ, you will see that he is a living hope because he gives you hope in every situation. He gives you hope because you know that whatever is going on in your life, is going to work out for good. How about that? Even the stinky mess that you're in right now is going to work out for good if you love God and are called according to his purpose. If you love God through Jesus Christ, any mess that you're in is by design. And God is going to bring forth fruit out of it. He's going to change it. He's going to bring forth good. You're going to look back and praise him. And then this happens again and again and again. And I have a living hope that Jesus is on the throne. I read the Bible. This is a living hope. It comes alive to me when I read the word of God and to you. It touches our heart. It speaks to us in a way that we can't even understand. How did, it, how did I get this? It's this amazing thing. This is our living hope. And without the resurrection, we would not have any hope. We would, our only hope would be this life. Our only hope would be 
the un, all the things that we think are fulfilling that don't fulfill, that would be our only hope. We would have no hope, obviously, of any future after death. Just buried in the ground and that's it. Miserable. But with Jesus Christ, we have this living hope to get us through every situation. To get us not through every situation, but to get us through every situation knowing that this situation I'm in and the things that I'm doing right now are building for the kingdom of God. You see, because the resurrection is a prototype of the whole entire creation. The whole creation is being renewed through the gospel. It's not like we're going and saying, oh, wow, yeah, I can see the building looks better and better every day. I've been preaching to it. I've been throwing the words of scripture on it. And that's not what I'm talking about. It's a spiritual transformation that's going on. God is building his kingdom through you, through your pain, suffering, and trials, through the pain, suffering, and trials of others, through those times of joy and victory, through times of revival, through times of deadness, through times of saying, where are you, God? Why, you know, why are you so far from me? He is, everything is working towards that. So this living hope is not just a living hope for now. It's, it's, it's now understanding what we are building for. We were talking about uh, an analogy the other day, I believe, in our elders meeting about, um, uh, I was telling somebody, Chris had said an analogy, and then I had remembered a story that was sort, sort of like it about three men that were digging the railroad. You remember that from the elders meeting, right? And so, uh, you know, two said, somebody came up and said to the first two, what are you doing? They said, well, we're digging, you know, and the, and the third guy said, I'm building a railroad. It's going to be across the whole entire country, whatever. He had the vision. He saw that. Now, that's a, uh, it may fail on some levels, but here, this analogy is perfect to the kingdom of God because everything you're doing is building towards that kingdom because of the resurrection, because of that resurrection power in the word of God, in the gospel. It's building and it's transforming and it's ultimately going to culminate into an all things new situation, like Jesus said. He said it in Revelation, I make all things new. <clears throat> now, this living hope also is every one of us here is going to face death. We know that. It's not a, it's not a prof, like this, oh, oh wow, pro, profound statement here. But the death for the Christian is much different. See, everybody is scared of death. The Bible even says it. That fear of death is one of the number one fears, but that we don't any no longer have to fear death. And the way that it's used in the scripture assumes that this is just something that's always on our mind. How is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? I pray that we all live to an old ripe age, and I pray that we all, you know, Pass in our sleep and, and, we, and we go and we, we're, we're with the Lord. But we don't have to worry about how or when. Because when we leave this earth, and I don't want to say earth, but this dimension, when our body dies, 
because of this living hope that we have, Christ is going to be right there to receive you. It's going to be a very continuous flow right in. Now, your body will go into the ground, but you will be present with God. Now, that's not the end. See, our hope just isn't in heaven. Our living hope is when Christ returns and says, Pat, you've been with me for however long time here in heaven. Now I'm going to reunite you, as I promised, with your body. And, and, and the dead will rise. The bodies will come back together. The DNA will find itself. It's going to connect. And we are going to be like Christ, a body like him. In a world without things that drive us crazy. A world without pain and suffering and sin. A world that is illuminated by the resurrected Christ. This hope is something that I look forward to. I, I look at it and I say, God, his wisdom is so amazing. What do you have for us, Lord, in that new creation? What is it going to be? It's going to be purposeful. What you're doing right now is going to connect to that. It's going to count to that. You are going to be you. I don't know about jobs and all that other stuff, but you are going to be you in that sort of world and in that sort of environment. That's a living hope. Now, this next part, this third point, I really love here because our loving father who sent Jesus to die and to be raised, he is giving us this new life now and beyond the age to the life to come. But what he calls it in the scripture, I love it. And he says it three different ways, which we all know means something. He's really overemphasizing this. He says that this is our inheritance I never thought, I don't have any rich people in my family. I have no expectation of ever going and knock on the door going, hey, you got an inheritance, right? Nothing like that is going to happen. And that's fine because this inheritance, listen to it, listen to it. He he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So when Christ comes back, our salvation will be complete. Now, positionally, we're saved and we can never lose our salvation. That's what I believe the scripture teaches. But that salvation is going to be finalized. We've gotten saved, we are getting saved, and we're going to be saved, right? So when Christ comes back, we are then going to receive this inheritance. And then the people were like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if it's a long time? Is that inheritance a... Is it going to get less? Is it going to get more? What if I'm not a really great, great guy, you know, and then I die, you know, and or I'm really not a great uh, wife or I'm not a great woman, whatever. Am I going to lose this inheritance? No, you can't do anything to lose it. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's not even going to fade away. Like things here on the earth, they fade away. Paint on the car fades away. 
Paint on the house, it fades away. Our muscle, it fades away. Our mind, it fades away. But not our new body. No way. That's, that right there is reserved in heaven for us. Right? And, and again, I use this analogy all the time. I don't get sick of using it because I, I want you to grasp around this. The, 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 the inheritance is in heaven. But it's not heaven where we're going to get the inheritance. Where is it? It's going to be revealed to us at the last time. So it's reserved for us like a meal is reserved in the refrigerator. You come to my house, I have dinner in the fridge or I have dinner in the oven. Would you like to join me and get in the oven and eat it? No. You want a glass of water? Let's go into my fridge. Come on, let's get in. That's where we got to get it. No, that's not what it means. No, it's reserved there, but it's, it's reserved to be brought out at the right time. So this inheritance is going to be brought out at the right time to us. This imperishable inheritance. What does that mean? It cannot be corrupted. It cannot decay. You can't corrupt your inheritance as a Christian of the new hope, of the hope that you have of a new life, a new body, and a resurrection. Why? You should say, well, you already said why, Pat. I'm going to tell you, you're going to say it again. Yes, yeah, because we're in Christ. Yes, you're right. You're in Christ. It, Christ can't become, he, he cannot become decayed or, or, or corrupted at all. You're in him. And when he returns, you will come and return with him. And you will be raised from the grave. Never to decay again. <clears throat> Our inheritance is undefiled. Here's the definition I got from the internet of this, free from that by which the nature of a thing is deformed or debased, or its force and its vigor is impaired. That's what undefiled means. It's free from being impaired in any way. It's free from being deformed and debased. It's perfect. Why? Because when Christ rose from the dead, he was perfect. And when he comes back, we will be in him, with him, and like him. He will not fade away. This not fade away, the Greek word means a symbol of perpetuity. Continuing on and on and on and on and on. And again, reserved in heaven, in the fridge, okay, in heaven, you're going to go to heaven. When you die, you're going to go to heaven. But that's not when you're going to get this, what they're talking about here. This living hope, this resurrected body doesn't happen in heaven. It happens at the resurrection. In the new creation. And so it's reserved in heaven, protected by the power of God. No one can come against it. Not even Satan. He cannot take it away from you. So in, our, in, in this context of this loving father shows us great mercy, giving us what we don't deserve, sending his son to die on the cross. We didn't deserve that. 
sending his son to die and then rise again and then make us alive, our spirit, so we could follow him. We didn't deserve that. But our father loves us so much that he wouldn't let it, he wouldn't let us go. He wouldn't say, I'm just going to start over again. No, before time began, when God created the heavens and the earth, he had everything planned. He knew what he was doing. You were in his mind. You were never not in God's mind. Think about that for a second. You were never not in God's mind. Because God is infinite and eternal and knows all things. So that's how special you are to your Father in heaven. Then he brought you forth in this period of time in history, this little bleep on the screen. And now he's giving you new life. And what are you, what are you going to do about it is really the thing. Now you're, you're raised with Christ. You're seated in the heavenly places. How do we react to that? Oh, we react to it by just bowing down and saying, let your will be done, Lord. Don't try to go figure out and write a book on how to be a great Christian, okay? Just love Jesus Christ, put him first in your life, seek his word, and trust him to lead you. That's what the resurrection proves. That's what the resurrection's purpose is for here and now. That power to lead you and to, and to, and to protect you until it's brought forth and it bursts forth in the final resurrection. <clears throat> the resurrection proves we have a loving father who gives us this living, living hope. There's not any morning that, you, that, that you, when you wake up, every morning you wake up, you, you have Jesus. He's your living hope. Every single breath you take, you have Jesus. In the hospital bed, you have Jesus. I was visiting my mom yesterday uh, with Zoe because she, my mom wanted to see Zoe's home. And my mom, she doesn't think anybody hears her. And so her, she's in a nursing home and she's got the curtain and there's a person next to her. And she goes, this lady never, to the lady next to me, she goes, the lady next to me never talks. I said, well, you know she probably hears you right now. She goes, she doesn't hear too well either. She said, her family came in and I said, you know, she never talks to me. She said, well, if you want to talk to her, talk to her about Jesus and she will never stop talking to you. That's what she told her, right? And I just thought of this woman and I went and peeked over and looked at her and she just, she looked so peaceful. She was just, she, she, I mean, I don't want to get weird about it, but she just looked like, like she had the Lord and gave me a smile. And I just thought, you know what? This, this woman's in a nursing home. And all she wants to do is talk about Jesus. And here we have everything at our, at our fingertips right now. And we're always running and hustling and bustling. That's, we, that's what we got to do. We just got to think about Jesus. Because he is our living hope. He is our, he is arisen. He is alive. And he is our hope that is not maybe going to come back. He will come back. And we will know him. Even we, he, he, as he knows us, we will know him. <clears throat> and the final point was the resurrection is a foretaste of our ultimate destination and inheritance, which is the new creation.
And that's what we talked about a lot last, that's what we talked about last Easter was new creation and how new creation was so evident, so apparent in through, through the book of Acts and through the gospels and even through the epistles and especially in, in, in Revelation and Isaiah, second Isaiah, uh, which is verses four, or chapters 40 all the way through 66, you see this promise of new creation. It's almost as if soon as they fell in the garden, God's new creation plan immediately went into effect. And the whole history and story of the Bible shows and points as signposts, signposts, point, 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 to this ultimate, ultimate hope. So I pray today that as you go through your day, Think about that living hope, but also think about, think about Jesus Christ. Think about what he's done for us. He is the way to the father, but the father loved you so much that he didn't just send his son. What does John 3, 16 say? He gave his only son. He, he gave him. He didn't send him. He gave him. Because Jesus was saying, I'm going to go. All right, go. I'm giving you over to it. And it was an in agreement. And if you don't have Christ, if you don't have that relationship with Christ, that, that knowledge of him, if, if you don't have that um, assurance of, that you are his, that you are a son of a God, an adopted son of, Je- of, of the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, then right now, today, right this second, You should cry out to him. Call his name, Jesus. I give you my life. And then don't get freaked out. Then rest in him. He will guide you. He will guide you lovingly. He will guide you graciously. He will test you. He will refine you. It may not all be that great, but you you got no other choice, not only because in this life, I'm talking about the next life to come too. Unless we repent, unless we turn from our sin, unless we, unless we turn from our sinful ways, our lifestyle of sin, and acknowledge Christ as Lord and believe that he is risen from the dead, then what's going to happen is, is when we die, we are going to have to pay for our own sins. And as I said Friday night, your blood, all of your blood could not even pay for half of of the least of your sins. That's why separation from God without Christ is eternal. Because it's a debt you can't pay. So it's going to have to be for eternity. That's why Jesus says eternal fire is prepared. Because that, that process cannot be reversed. There's only this time on earth right now to get right with God. You don't have, you may not have tomorrow, but you don't have an opportunity in that next life. And this isn't about being perfect. This is about coming to the sin bearer and giving him over. As Christ, and as Paul says, and we'll close with this, it is Christ, he's, I am crucified with Christ. I am, I am with him on the cross. My sin is on the cross with him. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God 
I don't count my life dear unto myself. That's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't have anything to do with living up to a certain expectation and then coming to Jesus. It has to do with saying, I can't live up to any expectation, God, and I can't believe that you died for my sins and lack of ability to, to do what I needed to do, and that is to, to, to be saved. I can't do it on my own. So I pray that this day you would do that. I pray that this day you would, wherever you're going today for dinner or lunch or brunch, or maybe you're just going home and whatever it is, if you have an opportunity, tell somebody about what Easter really means. Give them a little Easter egg and tell them about the resurrection. Amen? Amen. Father, we, we are so thankful for you sending and giving your son, Jesus Christ. And on this day, Lord, especially, oh, Lord, we're just so happy, excited, joyful about the, the, the living hope that you have given us. But let's never forget, Lord, that you, Father, love us as a, as a child. You loved us so much that you sent your only begotten Son to die for, for humans, Lord. So low can, compared to you. So let that truth sink into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Sing our last song.